Today, Brother Fred has asked me to share with you a lot about youth ministry, different things that we have going on, different things that are happening and what the Lord is doing. Uh, about New York and, and, and what happened in New York, I'm telling you all, I told you all, well, let's see, two years ago that you're going to think whenever I show up in a suit that uh, something cool happened, because that's when I shared about how God healed me. And today I showed up in a new suit, um, and I'm going to tell you, there's some really cool stuff to share today. I'm super excited. See, a lot of us look at Christianity and look at God as something that we want to mold and create to fit us. But yet God says that if you're going to follow after me, he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. He said it's not about running for your kingdom anymore, little kingdom, but running for his kingdom, the big kingdom. He says in Scripture, he says in the Lord's Prayer, it even says, uh, your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth. Lord, use us as students, student pastor, college students, young adults, the, the, the body of believers. Use us for your kingdom, O oh Lord. I love it. They did a phenomenal job, and I'm going to share with you a little bit more about that skit and about what happened and, and what took place afterwards. But I quickly shared with the people that were in New York that we were with that, you know, you can make Christ whatever you want, but really, if you're going to follow Him, it's denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Him. So let us pray as we get started today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We give you all the glory. I pray that you will speak through us today, that you will speak through every word, and that it will be all for you and you alone. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name. Amen. I promise that I would always start every time that I preach with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. You don't have to open, I'm just going to read it. Um, and then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, today I don't have, I have a lot of scripture, they're just in two locations. That's good, we'll be able to get to them. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And my message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. I love that. Today, we pray that the power of God will fall down so powerfully that when we walk out of here, that the only thing we can say is that God moved. Let me ask you all a question. And this is kind of a trick question. How many of you in this room have ever been a member of, let's say, more than one church? How many more than two churches? Okay. That's kind of a trick question here, uh, because in reality, you haven't. Um, in reality, the church is all the body of believers, right? So therefore, whether you've gone from a building to a different building, you've never left the church, right? So today, if you were late, you were late to Davison, you weren't late to church because you are the church, so you can't be late, right? So see, Brother Fred can say, he's never late to church. Don't tell him I said that. You're going to have to cut back on the tape there. But here's the thing. Our mind thinks that way a lot. Our mind thinks that this is a body of believers, this church over here is a body of believers. This denomination over here is a body of believers. And so we kind of get to the point where we're working on our own within each group as a body of believers separately. 
You know, in the first church, Acts chapter 2, 3, and on, you know, there wasn't Southern Baptist. There wasn't Methodist. There wasn't Pentecostal. There wasn't denominations, were there? There was a church. So today, as we begin uh, talking today about the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says this, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also in Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, whether slave or free, all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now, I'm sharing with you today on this to get us to a point where we can understand a little bit of what God showed me about youth ministry. But the first thing, and this kind of is, is a little side thing here, I got an opportunity to do a wedding this past Saturday uh, for one of my really dear friends, uh, two youth leaders, two young adults in our church, Elliot and Kristen. Now it's Elliot and Kristen Wainer. That's the reason why I have the new suit. Um, <laughs> they made me get the suit and then I had to wear a robe. Um, <laughs> no. It was Brother Fred's robe, so it was, it was um, thank you, Brother Fred. Uh, I had an opportunity to do this wedding, and, and at the beginning I was sharing just a charge uh, to, the, to them two as they stood before the throne of God in holy matrimony. And yes, if you were there, I forgot to let you sit down, but that's part of it. But in the charge, I told them this, I said, you two are becoming one now. You are becoming unified. Now, the word in the Greek is becoming. It is a continual process of becoming one. But I said, you two are becoming one. So therefore, Kristen, your weaknesses are Elliot's weaknesses now. Elliot, your weaknesses are Kristen's weaknesses. You are not two people against each other, but you are one body. And that's why Christ says in Ephesians, he says... To love yourself as your own body. The mystery is this, is that just as Christ loves the church, Christ is the head of the body, right, of the church. Y'all, y'all are all, you've been part of the church ever since you came to know Christ. And the same way, the mystery is, is that husband and wife, the way that, that you live together in holy matrimony is, is, is an example to Christ and the church. This is why I really believe that the evil one, desires to wreck marriages is because it's, a, it's, it's an example of Christ in the church. So if he can make that look confusing, then he can try to make Christ in the church, the example, look confusing. But what the Lord spoke to me about the body of believers is this. Our minds can go to this is one body, this is one body, and this is one body, And we can forget that we're all one body, so whatever the weaknesses are, all of our weaknesses, and whatever our strengths are, all of our strengths. But if we don't unify and come together, instead, it's like a husband and wife who goes to someone else to complain about what their husband's done, or their wife going to someone else, or husband, or what, I guess the guy never does anything, but the wife, I'm just kidding, some of y'all didn't get that. But what I'm saying is, is just as Christ is the church, so is the example of husband and wife. And that's the reason why what is yours is his, and and you become one just as that. We are one unified body, 
all the way across America and the world for those who believe in Christ Jesus. And while I was, I told you, I don't know, this is so weird, but for some weird reason, every time I'm ironing, the Lord gives me a word. And this morning I was ironing this shirt, and the Lord gave me a word. I'm serious. He gave me a word this morning, and he said this. He said, have you ever complained about your brother or sister at another church? I was like, whoa, have I? Probably, yeah. I mean, all the way, I mean, I've been in ministry seven years. And the Lord said, that's your brother. That's your sister. That's the body of Christ. Would you ever hurt your own hand? Would you ever just tie your leg up, you know? No. What you would do is unify and come together. See, we either serve a powerless God, which is not true, or we've lost our focus. Because if God is all-powerful, and, and I've shared this statistic before, but there are so many people who call themselves believers. And I'm just sitting here like, man, like, why are we not going forth, and, and the gates of hell cannot prevail? I mean, gates are used as a defense mechanism, right? Not as a go forth and take out the Christians, right? Now, the reason that I talk about the body of Christ is this. Brother Joe, or Dr. Joe, said, let's see, three weeks ago on a Wednesday night, or on a, no, on a Sunday night, last Sunday night service we had, he said that statistics show between 20 to 30% are the only people who stay after youth ministry in the church. Let me say that better. 20%, all the way up to possibly 30% of people who are in a youth ministry will stay in church. Now, first off, what I just shared is that the church is with us. Right? So they can't necessarily stay in church. They can stay at a congregation or leave the congregation. But the statistic is is that 70 plus percent run to the world when they leave high school. And I've been praying for the past seven years. The reason the Lord called me into youth ministry all the way back 12 years ago was because the Lord was showing me that, that so many people are leaving the church when they, when they leave, when they get out of high school. They're leaving the congregation. And, and why is that? And one of the things the Lord showed me is, is that we create two bodies within the body. You know, I just talked to you about how this church, that church, that church, this church, right? But so often, churches create two bodies within the body. You've got the body of youth ministry, and we've got the body of believers. Well, the body of believers that are youth ministry and the body of believers, right? That happens a lot. Some churches are even getting to the point where they're trying to figure out how do we bring them from youth ministry to church or to the big church or, or the body of believers. How do we, and so we're going to call it the crossover ministry because we're crossing them over. I've heard one church call it the parking lot ministry, bringing them from one side of the parking lot to the other side of the parking lot. But according to Scripture, we're all children of God, no matter what age you are, no matter what ministry you're under. According to the Word of God, we're all members of the body of Christ. And so therefore, we have students who are gifted in certain areas. We have students that are gifted in, in teaching, some gifted in uh, administration, all these different things that, that the Lord has gifted them with just as He has gifted some of you with. And so we, as a body of believers, I pray that with God doing it, that we can be a church that other churches look at and say, what's different about that? Well, the, the youth are serving. 
The young adults are serving in the big body, the, the full out, because that's what they're part of. I pray that students will say, David, you know, there was a lady who came to me and asked me how things were going today. She was way, you know, older than I was. I never met her before. I always thought, you know, that it was this and that. But, but man, they, 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 and I know that all of you care about students. I know you do. I know you do. But how cool is that when mentorship, discipleship begins to happen all the way down? You know what my vision is that the Lord's given me? Because uh, I'm doing youth, college, and young adults. Is that young adults will mentor, disciple college students. College students will mentor, disciple students. And that the students can even help out in children ministry. Isn't that what the church looks like? Now, I want to give you a statistic that I really tried real hard to be as accurate as possible. But because... I want to make sure that, that if, if I'm on a side, I want to be on the low side. In the past seven years that God has allowed me to do youth ministry, we've had about a 50 to 60% staying active in the congregation when they leave. Way outside of the norm, but here's the reason. It's because everything that is taught and everything that is focused on is relational ministry just as Jesus with his disciples. In Acts chapter 19, you don't have to flip there. What happens when Paul goes to Ephesus? Some people get saved, and guess what happens? He leaves, and he says, well, I'm going to go train them up, and then he brings them back. He spends that time discipling, teaching, and, and preaching, and sharing the gospel with them, and then they go forth, and a riot breaks out. You need to go home and read Acts 19. I love it. Big old riot breaks out. All because Demetrius the silversmith, I don't know why I remember his name. Demetrius the silversmith gets frustrated that people aren't buying shrines of Artemis. And so they have this big, great as Artemis, great as God fight. And then all of a sudden it just ends. With that being said, and I believe that we have done a very good job here amongst all ages, to be one body and one unified. I really have. It's been awesome. It has been a joy and an honor. But with that being said, I want to share with you a few things the Lord has put on my heart with youth ministry, and I want to share with you about New York. First off, He's really been putting on my heart that our students need to be seen a lot more. So I've asked uh, and, and talked with Brother Fred about even doing different things like uh, offertory and stuff once a month. Serving out and, and welcoming guests and all that kind of stuff. Letting them be part of the service aspect of the church. I'm excited about it. We already have opportunities outside of, of this place. But we already have like French Quarter outreach that we did yesterday. Uh, while we were in New York for eight days, Most almost 80% of that was service oriented. Maybe 10% of it was... Um, Fun recreation. The other thing is for college students, and this is something that, that the Lord has been putting on my heart, um, we're starting up a full-blown college ministry uh, starting in August when they get back. Because if you start it now, there won't be anybody but the ones that stay here and go to summer school. I'm going to be asking some of you if we have college students who are out of town, out of state, that don't live here, that are only here for college, that we'll have a family that will adopt them. Why? Because they don't have family here. 
we're the unified body of believers, right? It's not this church, that church, this church. So no matter what church they came from, they're part of the church, right? Think about if you had a college student who was here in Mobile, didn't know anybody, a freshman, just needed a good meal once a month. Could sit down and and somebody that cared about him was like, man, how's it going? How can I help you? What can I do? I want to serve you. Or let me help you with your laundry. I was a college student once. It's bad. Every six months, every semester end, I'd bring it home. Now, let's talk about New York for a minute. While we were in New York, we had the opportunity to go to several different places. Um, We worked with children at children's homes. We worked with uh, people with cerebral palsy. Uh, we spent time in food kitchens. We spent time, uh, let's see, uh, on Coney Island doing like a prayer tent where people would come and we'd pray for them. Uh, we spent time at a uh, place called an anchor house. And when we got there, we already uh, encountered some, some, some interesting things. We flew into what was a tropical storm going up the East Coast. Um, that in itself taught me to pray real hard. We spent... The time flying in, we, we got there, we, uh, the ministry, the first ministry was canceled due to a big rain, obviously, we flew into a tropical storm. We got there and there was no place for the ladies, some of the ladies to lay their head because the rooms were all full. And for a moment it was like, what are we doing? We're in New York City, in the Queens. We're tired, we're exhausted. You know what the Lord spoke to me? He said, David... You walk in obedience and let me handle the results. And in that moment, somebody on our team said, you know, it's interesting. Even the Lord, Jesus, didn't have a place to lay his head. Rejoice in the suffering. So a piece of this body, of the body, the body of Christ, a piece of it, 18 of us flew up to New York to do ministry. The first night of ministry, we go to this place and it's very unorganized. Well, the place wasn't organized, unorganized. We just didn't know what we were doing. And we get there and the guy said, I'm going to throw you the service in a minute. Get ready. I was like, okay. And so the guy threw me the service. He said, now Brother David's going to take over and he's going to teach. And so I went up there and I let the, the team do that skit. And then I let uh, Mr. Jeff Barton, who's in the back back there, uh, give his testimony. And then I just preached for a minute. Luke chapter 5, 5. Paul, Peter, excuse me. He's a, he's a trained fisherman. He knows how to fish. He's been fishing pretty much his whole life, right? Jesus walks up to him and says, Hey, go cast your nets back out. Go back out there. He's like, man, I've been up all night. I know what I'm doing. What are you talking about? I mean, that's how I read it. But he basically says, I have the knowledge of fishing. You're a teacher. But then he says some powerful words. He said, but because you say so, I will. See, Peter got it. He said, no knowledge on this earth No worldly knowledge can even come close to the king's wisdom and knowledge. 
And because God said so, he did. And so because God told me to begin to speak on that message, I did. And when it finished, or when we finished, I just said, hey, can we pray for y'all as students? Can our students come pray for y'all? And I'm telling you, the place truly just... Sorry if I cry. We had over a third of the people stand up and say, I need prayer. And so they asked for me to pray for them individually. And so I walked over there and there was a line of people. And I'm praying individually, one by one. And I'm telling you, some of y'all, I mean, I still don't quite understand it other than God and God alone. But the Lord began to give me prophetical words to speak. Each person that came up, the Lord spoke to me, I spoke it to them, and as I did, the Lord then gave me scripture, I spoke the scripture to them, and as that was transpiring, every single one, but maybe one or two, began to tremble and shake, and tears began to flood down their face, to the point that my shirt had many of their tears upon it. Thank you. It is only by the power of God that this was happening. It's a group of students from Mobile, part of the body of Christ, that unified with another part of the body up there. So as this is happening, one by one, probably praying five minutes apiece or a little less, I don't know. It took a long time. We were there probably an hour or so. I mean, I was, exa- I was, I was so exhausted that I didn't speak all the way home, most of the way home. So as I'm praying, I begin to hear over to my left a man who began to speak in another language. And when I say another language, I'm saying that because it did not sound like, um, it it literally sounded like there was words that were being said just in a, I've got a song that I listened to by by Chris Tomlin, and it's uh, (laughs) How Great Is Our God, and it's the world version, and it has all these different tongues in it. And so this guy begins to speak that. We continued. I actually had to take a little bit of a step over to the right because it was getting so loud that I couldn't even hear the people that was asking me for prayer. Our students were praying. One of our students went over and even prayed. If I remember correctly, was seated, sitting down next to the person praying who was speaking in in a different tongue. And we leave, and I am literally uh, exhausted. So we don't debrief for two days. Finally, we had some time. I mean, literally, we were running the whole time we were in New York. Finally, we had some time to debrief, and I began to teach our students 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. I began to teach them about tongues. Because also, during that time, one of the guys who I was praying for fell over, and I've never had that happen before. And so I began to preach 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, and I began to just talk about tongues. You know, it's a very uh, tough issue sometimes to talk about because we've created this church, that church, this church. So it's like if you, you know, it's just... And as I was sharing with the students, the person who was sitting there praying, who's here today, said, David, what are you talking about? And I said, what do you mean? They said, who was speaking another tongue? I said, the person you were praying with, and they were like, no, that person was speaking English the whole time. 
So what was happening was that this person, the student, was hearing everything in English that we were hearing in another language. And began to interpret and didn't even know what they were doing. Because it wasn't until two days later that they understood what was happening. Now for some people that's like, whoa, okay. Really? And I'm like, listen, all I know is that we walked in obedience to New York. All I know is that we walked in obedience and said, God, we're going to do whatever you have for us to do and you're in control of the results. I had no idea that something like that was going to happen. Has that ever happened in my ministry before? No. I've never seen somebody literally interpret right there. And, and we, we didn't know. I mean, I know what that was said. I know what was spoken in that moment. I know what the Lord spoke. And it was powerful. Everything was biblical. Everything lined up scripturally. And when that happened, I'm telling you, I had chill bones all over because I was sitting there saying, the power of God literally fell down in that place. Our students, part of the body who was up in New York, unifying with the other part of another body, or the body all together, was up there, and the Lord began to use in many different ways. Now, this leads me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they may be obtained a better resurrection." And others experienced mocking and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and all these things having gained approval through their faith. Check this out. We just saw two majorly different examples of somebody walking by faith. The results of some walking by faith was kingdoms being conquered, mouths being shut. People, women receiving back from the, resur- from the dead. We see just all this mighty stuff happening. And if I were to ask you, how many of you, if you see something like that, whether it's the student that had that... that uh, thing, whether it's my healing. I mean, I just ran my first Ironman, uh, what was it, 30 days ago, when doctors told me that myasthenia gravis would affect me for the rest of my life, my muscles and all that. Whether it's healing, whatever it is, whenever we see a mighty act of God, it's very easy for us to say, God was there and God moved, right? Y'all agree with that? So when I tell you what happened in New York, many of you, unless you're sitting there struggling, and in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 talks all about it, you can go there and study it, but most of you would say God had to have moved for something like that to have happened. 
Because the results were supernatural. But then you look in Hebrews, on down in Hebrews 11, and you see people getting sawed in half, put in chains, having to walk around in in different skins so people won't see them. And guess what we see? On a worldly standpoint, we say, maybe they missed their calling. Maybe they missed it. I mean, they're not seeing just mighty things happen, are they? They're, They're actually being tortured and suffering and having to go through all this pain. And we say, what is this? But God says both of them had faith. Both of them had faith. Listen, the Lord is calling us as a body of believers to walk in obedience and leave the results in His hands. It takes great faith when you water and you water. And let me grab this real quick. I'm going to step right off for just a second. It's right here. It takes great faith when you sit there and you water Hope that doesn't come out. Okay. And you water, and you're saying, God told me to come here. God told me to come here. He's told me to come to New York, but but I'm not seeing anything, God. Are you sure you've told me to come here? Are you sure? Listen, a month and a half ago, the Lord literally woke me up and said, David, you need to catch a flight to Chicago. I said, okay. So I literally flew to Chicago and back within about 24-hour time. might have even been less. It might have been 20 hours. I said, Lord, if you're really calling me to go to Chicago, then, then you need to, uh, I, I need help financially to get this plane ticket taken care of. And with, with, he told me that. I said, I spoke to the Lord. It was a Sunday night. I said, Lord, I need help financially to get to Chicago if you want me to go because tickets at the last second are really big. And before I left where I was at that night, my whole ticket was taken care of. I didn't even say anything to anybody. I didn't say, hey, I need help. And so I flew to Chicago simply because the Lord told me that there was somebody that I needed to go talk with, that I needed to go share with. I get there, literally, this is how the Lord works. I fly in, I hop on the L, I go out to where I'm meeting that person at lunch, and I walk in one minute before we're supposed to be there. I can never catch a flight on time. But that day, everything was perfect. I get there, I do what the Lord told me to do, and guess what? I see nothing. Nothing. I'm like, God, didn't you call me here? But the Lord said, David, I called you here, now walk in faith, and trust me, even when the results don't seem like what you want. See, sometimes we can sit there and we can say, well, unless we see results like this that produces uh, a flower that grows up, that's when we'll know that God called us. No, faith is this, to step out on faith knowing that God called you and leaving the results. You could be a waterer for your whole life and never once see a flower. You know, somebody like me, I cannot make it without somebody like B.D. Givens who is uh, an administrative assistant that keeps my head on straight. I'm serious. Without her trusting her gift that God's called her to. And, and, and part of that, you know, I mean, she helps me to be able to do what I do with student ministry and, and, and basically run candles on both sides. How do you say that? I don't know that saying, but y'all probably do. <laughs> so the thing is this. If God calls you, you walk in obedience 
And you can't worry about the results. If you're worried about the results, a lot of times, well, first off, worry is a sin, right? If, if you're struggling with where's the results, God, God could be simply saying it's in you. It's in you. While we were in New York, we had just seen a mighty act of God, right? I just shared with you. I just saw a mighty act of God at the Anchor House. God giving me the gift of, of sharing uh, prophetical words with some people. Then the Lord spoke to me. There was a guy that was walking who was blind. In our hallway, he was with another group. And the Lord said, David, you pray with him. I said, okay. So I prayed with him. But I prayed with him for everything other than his healing of his sight. I know everybody's like, okay, here we go. I prayed with him for everything but his healing of his sight. He goes into his room, and I looked at, at, at uh, a dear friend of mine who was sitting next to me, and I said, the Lord just told me to pray for his healing, and I didn't do it. He said, well, go do it. I was like, in his room? Like, there's ten other people in there. He goes, go do it. So I walk into this room I don't know, people I don't know, and I said, hey, I want to say his name was Stephen. I said, Stephen, will you step back outside? The Lord's called me to pray for you and your sight. So he steps outside, and I begin to pray for him and his sight. As far as I know, Stephen is still blind today. But the Lord called me to do it. But the Lord called me to do it. See, if I was sitting there saying that unless he opens his eyes and sees and runs and dance in the hallway, well, then God, you didn't come. You know what he was teaching me? To be obedient. He was telling me, I don't care, David, don't worry about your, 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 your fame or your name or, or what if I don't or what if I do or what if, what if, what if. Just walk in obedience. So I can tell you, I've had situations in the past month where I've seen supernatural movements of God, and I can tell you God was there. I have seen several times in the last month where I have not seen a supernatural thing, I can tell you God was there. Because I have faith enough as a child of God to know that if He's called me, He's there with me. I also know that the Spirit lives in me, and because He lives in me, therefore He is with me. I just have to yield my mind, my heart, my eyes to the king and follow his guidance and his leadership. I had no idea that when we went to New York that God was going to do those things. But what I did know is that he's on the throne. What I did know is that he's all-powerful. What I did know is that nothing can take me away from him and his provision for my life. See, Satan wants to teach us and show us that it's result-driven. Because that's what our culture says. But see, you could sit here and this could be you all your life. But because of this, this happens later that you never see. So what's, the God, what's God calling you to do? Well, let's, let's think through that for a second. Some of the things that he's calling us to do, first and foremost, salvation. Right? Lay our life down, pick up your cross, follow after him. I have a list. I've got to make sure I find it. The first thing is, is salvation. Now, can you control the results of salvation? No. 
but you can walk in obedience, can't you? So that's an easy way to understand right there. You can't control the results, but yet you can lay your life down. Repentance of sins, the same as salvation. God's called us in his scripture to pray 24-7, pray without ceasing. Can you control the results of your prayer? Well, if you're praying to God, you're laying them down at, at his throne and you're trusting God that he knows exactly what's perfect and right for your life and that it's not about your kingdom, but it's about his kingdom. But he calls us. Are you walking in obedience and praying 24-7? Are you walking in obedience and making disciples? He says, go and be my witnesses, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Are you being obedient and making disciples? The results are in his hands. You might have somebody that you pour into all your life and you disciple that person, he knows Christ, but yet for some reason he, he walks away or does something. The results, you, your job is simply to walk in obedience and one of the things is to go make disciples. I think we miss that in the body of believers. Because if I were to ask you today how many of you mentor somebody or disciple somebody, I think that some of us would be like, well, I think I do. I kind of do. That kind of stuff. Listen, the Lord has put that so in my heart that I have encouraged all of our young adults, and many of them have received people who pour into their life and disciple them. The Lord says, go and be my witnesses. Are you walking in obedience? Is your life so wrapped up in Christ that people see Jesus in you because you are a witness of Christ and that you're sharing the gospel with the nations? Are you walking in disobedience? When you walk in obedience and you're letting people see Christ through your life because you're focused on the big king, not the little king, the results are in his hands. So when you go share the gospel with somebody, if they don't get saved, that's okay. It's in his hands. That should take the pressure off of you. One of the reasons that youth ministries today have become so programmatic and so let's put up a big screen and, and rock out and, and all this stuff and play secular music is because they're result-driven. The only results that I want in youth ministry is the ones that God gives us. That's people on their face, emptying of themselves and being filled by the Spirit. I told Brother Fred four years ago when he hired me, I said, Brother Fred, if you want to program a ministry, this is, I'm not the guy. I believe in relational ministry, one-on-one, discipling, life-on-life. And because of that, what do we see in 60%? Stay with a congregation, being unified in the body of believers. You know, the Lord put on my heart when I was writing down things to walk in obedience, tithing. Many of you do that. It says in Scripture, that's walking in obedience. You know, I love this, and, and I've got to share it. I've still got a few minutes. You know, there, there, it says in Scripture that if you bring into the storehouse your tithes, what does it say in Malachi? Anybody? Come on, somebody repeat it. Let's act like we're in youth ministry right now. You shout it out. What does he say? He'll pour out his blessing. Absolutely. Now, in my Bible, it actually says, open up a window. The floodgates of heaven. All right, here's, this is so cool. 
I don't know if I've shared this with you. If you have, then just bear with me. But in the Hebrew, that word floodgate, that word gate, is the same word that is used in Genesis. When does God open up a gate in Genesis? Say it. Noah and the flood. So let me ask you a question. Oh, I get chills just thinking about this. How big was the flood? I wish I had a globe because i just point to it, right? I mean, that's how big it was. He uses the same word in Malachi to say that if you bring forth like God has called you to do, that he will open up the floodgates. But here's the thing. It's not on a worldly understanding. It's not, okay, God... You're the stock market. I bring you 10% and then you bless me with 75%. No, it's about I'm going to walk in obedience and I know that you're taking care of me and that you're my provision and that you're my protection. That's the biggest floodgate I can ever imagine is that Jesus simply is my protection. God's called us to walk in trust, in faith. You know, I, I shared with the students just recently, I said this, the difference between, um, well, how, let, me, let me put it this way. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say the Lord called our youth ministry to go to Iraq. That doesn't scare anybody. <laughs> Let's say the Lord called our youth ministry to go to, to Iraq. And I shared with all the parents, I said, here's what is happening. This is the flight we're going to be on. Uh, yes, I understand they got to land like this so that, you know, the bombs don't hit it. I understand, but the Lord's called us to Iraq. Okay, and let's say the, that we're going for a week. You know, we've got to trust God for wisdom and for faith. Either wisdom not to go, not fear not to go, wisdom not to go, or faith to walk in obedience, right? So walking in obedience is about faith, about trusting, and seeking godly wisdom. Right? See, what I'm saying here is this. You can actually come to me and say, David, I, we prayed about it and God's given us wisdom that we're not supposed to go. And you know what I'm going to say to you? Praise God that you prayed about it and praise God you're walking in obedience. Right? Or you can say to me, David, we prayed about it. God's told us to go, so therefore we're trusting his faith. He's given us faith to walk even though it's kind of uh, an interesting place. Dangerous. So it's either trust or wisdom. But you know what I hear sometimes? David, we prayed about it, and we really want him to go, but yet we're fearful that. And listen, this is across the board. This is not youth ministry here. When you put that word in there, fear is a sin. God can give you wisdom not to go, and he gave us wisdom. We were going to go to Mexico. But God gave us wisdom not to go to Mexico, and instead he sent us to New York, and look at what he did. Because we walked in obedience and wisdom, and we walked in faith to New York. Right? Y'all see that? This is very, this is very deep. You're going to have to like put your hand up here to grab it. It goes over our head sometime. It's very deep. If you pray about something and you get fearful, that's not of God, is it? But when you pray about something, wisdom will give you peace. And if God tells you to do it, then He will give you peace in faith to walk through it. See, we've got to walk in obedience and not worry about the results. When we worry about the results, we focus in on the if. 
We've got to take if out of it. If should not be part of our vocabulary. Because if it happens or doesn't happen, God's on the throne, so it doesn't matter, so why do we worry about it? You know, and I'm going to close, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of close out with this, with a few things here. What if I were to die? Well, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. Do you really believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? Because why do we then say, so often we hear people say, well, the worst thing that could happen is, when we were on the flight to New York, I thought to myself for an instant, I said, the worst thing that could happen is we could die. But hold up. Wouldn't worse be something that's taken away? It says in Scripture, for me to die is gain. I'll be standing before the throne of God, worshiping Him in all of His majesty. But yet the if and the fear. So we really can't say for me to live as Christ, for me to die is gain, unless you really believe it. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is for His kingdom. To bring glory to His kingdom. To bring honor to His name. I walk in obedience. He takes care of the results. And I don't worry about anything else. For me to die? <laughs> it's gain. Standing before the throne. And I'll just weep thinking about that. Whew. So what's God doing in our youth ministry? Well, first off, He's blessing us beyond measure. He's given us students who really desire to empty themselves and be filled by the Spirit. We've seen salvation, not even from me sharing the salvation story. Just simply while we were worshiping, the Spirit of God came down and spoke to somebody in the room and said, I need to know Christ. That's called God moving in a powerful way. We've had students who call me up on the phone because I do ministries at, different, uh, at a different high school or, or at a high school at 6.30 in the morning. I had a student call me up on the phone and said, hey, can I speak with you? I said, sure. And so they came to me and they said, listen, I'm tired of religion and the Lord told me to come talk to you. We're part of the big body. All of us. I'm not worried about results. Because God's in control of that. We're seeing unbelievable things happen. Salvation. Kids using their spiritual gifts. We're watching revival break forth in our youth ministry. We're growing spiritually, numerically. But most of all, we're seeing revival. There's a quote I want to leave you with as we kind of close out here today. And it says this. Many Christians desire revival. Many of you have been praying for revival. But a lot of Christians don't desire the burden of revival. You know what that is? And I've been teaching this to my students. That's emptying of self. It's not about I'm praying for revival for y'all. I'm praying for revival for me. And that starts with me emptying of myself. And that's what you should be saying for yourself. Emptying of myself on my face. What's the Lord calling you today to do? What's He sharing with you? Is it that you're struggling with a brother or sister in Christ, whether it be in this location or another location, that you need to go just make amends and, sh- and, and, and 
pray together? Is he calling you to, to know him for the first time as your Lord and Savior? Is he calling you to go on missions uh, all over the world? Is he calling you today to go share with a family member and not worry about the results? Is he calling you today to go live a life according to his principles at your, at your work and not worry about the results? Is he calling you to come fall on your face and just seek him for, for, for wisdom and seek him for faith and not worry about the results and trust him and let God take care of that? What is he telling you today? Because if there's anything that I want you to grasp is this, walk in obedience. That's what God's called us to do. Walk in obedience. 